Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so my guest today is uh, a woman who helps to raise humanity's vibration, guiding women into mastering their thoughts and emotions through introspection, embodiment, and creative expression. She also helps women to master their intentions and thoughts and to raise emotionally intelligent children. Welcome to the show, Eugenia Gomez. Hi, John. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for being a guest on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. And you're joining us from Luxembourg. Yes. Well, right now I'm on holidays in Spain, but yes, normally in Luxembourg. Okay, great. So you're joining us from sunny Spain today. Hopefully it's sunny there. So that was a brief introduction uh, to yourself there that I just gave. So if you could tell the listeners uh, a little bit more about yourself, what you do and how you help. Sure. So what I want to do is help women embrace all of their emotions everything, even the dark ones, so that they can be there fully present in their body, in their soul mission, with their soul partner, and raising children that are also emotionally aware, conscious, and empathic to the world and with humanity. It's a wow. big one. That, that's a big <laughs> mission statement. <laughs> and so how do, you, how do you work with people in order to help them to do that? There are three phases. Mm-hmm. So first, helping women that are still dating, uh, so that they can find that their soulmate, that high-quality man that will listen to them, understand them, support them in their journey. Um, then moving along, once they already have uh, children, or once they are pregnant, actually this job starts what, before we are pregnant, but it's very important once we are pregnant, um, to really hone in our emotions so that we are able to lower those hormones that people say we have, the cravings, they are not nothing else but our emotions trying to speak up louder than usually to say, please follow your soul path. And then uh, really helping them see how society is conditioning us to be numb okay. completely and to raise children that are numb instead of uh, enhancing their curiosity and pushing them in their soul path. That's where all the unfulfilled comes from, from our um, early stages of life. <laughs> so I um, want to remove that. So tell me a little bit then about this numbness that you say that we're being conditioned uh, to yeah. be numb. Yeah. You want me to explain it from the perspective of the child or of the parents? <laughs> uh, both would be great, actually. <laughs> if you've... Okay, so for example, I now have a four-month-old baby. Right. And I can see uh, my parents are completely unaware of everything and I am aware of, of well, I won't say of everything, but from a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when we say that children are hyperactive, it's just because they are being raised with uh, so many, with the laptop having thousand and one lap, uh, tabs open, with the phone beeping constantly. So they are used to that kind they are born directly into that kind of environment. They need that high speed 
life in order to, that's their normal. Okay. And when they grow up, they are four, five, six years old, and they are not receiving anymore that kind of uh, engagement from parents because we are not used to that. So that's when we complain and they are hyperactive. Well, you did that as a parent. I'm sorry to say that, but you did that. You're the creator of that hyperactivity. And it's true that we are not able to handle that with our current awareness. But what if we were able to lower that amount of interaction of, to, to the world with, uh, from the baby? Like everything that we have without technology is already a lot for the baby to process. Mm-hmm. The calmness that we are that we have at home without technology is already more than enough for them to practice the world. I don't know. Uh, they all the toys that we buy for them because we believe that uh, it's so the babies will or the children will uh, will like them. They will enjoy them. They will not feel bored. Whatever. Maybe that has more to do with us than with babies because really babies can't find um, happiness with with a cup. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's just more about us that we are trying to hide our emotions, trying to hide our boringness, our numbness with things. And we are trying to bring that into babies, into children. And that's what I don't want. I want really to help parents hone into their emotions so that they can actually see their behaviors and see what they, what kind of adults they are bringing up or raising, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, so you're saying there's a, there's a direct kind of correlation between what the parent is kind of capable of and how they sort of see the world and then the things they try and instill on their children. And you're saying that it's also in the case of the hyperactive child, it's because they've got so used to being wired in a certain way at an early age, but then maybe the parent isn't capable of managing to sustain that as they get older. So then they complain that they're hyperactive, but actually they've instilled that type of behaviour in them in the first place, and now it's the parent that can't keep up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yes. Right. (laughs) Okay, awesome. So again, uh, how do you then help the parent to to sort of acknowledge this? Because you said like you're very aware, whereas your parents are not very aware. What what so what have you done to bring yourself an, an awareness now? And how then do you help other parents to do the same? Well, it took me four years to come to this level of awareness since the mm-hmm. moment I said I will never allow any man to treat me this way. <laughs> I have been honing into my emotions until this point that I am able to simply see or speak and say, oh, crap, this is a, a societal pattern. This is not me. This is not my value. This mm-hmm. is not what I want. And, um, well, how it's made is really when you get triggered, Whatever trigger you you get, it's not anybody's fault. It is your patterning that is making this trigger arise. Mm-hmm. And it is just your soul, if you believe in that. It is actually a thing, but up to you to believe or not. Um, <laughs> um, it's, it's your soul trying to trigger in you for you to see the truth inside of you. Okay. So whenever I always fall back to relationships because this is where my deepest wounds are mm-hmm. 
when your partner doesn't listen to you or you are complaining that he doesn't understand. You feel enslaved, always cooking for him and washing for him and doing the laundry for him and everything for him. You're doing that because you want. He never asked you to do he might. He's complaining now that you're not doing it for him. I feel overloaded because this is how we are educating them since the moment we meet so they don't know different right yeah so if from day one <laughs> you are trying to be uh make him see that you are a good woman for him to value you and for him to nurture you and you start changing your behavior not in the way that he likes but in the ways that you think he likes then it's in, this is impossible to keep up forever and mm. when you suddenly say this is enough what happens? You have been showing a face that it's not really yours. Yeah. Because already from day one, you have to be clear with your partner. What is it that you are? Not try to hide or be better than, than that. Because guess what? You will be doing these things for him lovingly when you are both in the couple as a team, not just you trying to, to make him see your work. He will never see your work when you do things that it's that are not you. And well, this is how I came into the awareness of everything. Yeah. By me coming back into my feminine nature, into my feminine ways. But this is another problem. Society has wired us to be always in our masculine energy, which is always in the doing. Oh, and that is why we're always feeling overwhelmed and stressed and always in a hurry as women. Eh? Uh, men is normal that they are in the masculine energy. <laughs> um, so we stop them getting overwhelmed and, and stressed out by being in that space. Uh, because they do more than they are, yeah. be, right? Even men are also stressed, but I feel they are less stressed. They are able to cope with, with the pace of life better than women. I feel, you tell me. <laughs> Uh, I think uh -huh. it's an interesting topic of conversation, which maybe we wouldn't be able to go into too much detail now. <laughs> but I, I think that one of the facts that male suicide is much higher than female suicide is because they can't cope because they're taught that they need to be in masculine energy, that they can't talk about their feelings, that they need to take it on the chin, that they need to keep things to themselves. And they're programmed in that masculine energy way, perhaps the same way that you say women are as well, that, uh, it's harder for them to express themselves and when it actually comes down to it they don't know how to cope in the end and and unfortunately it's to them taking their own lives so I think this is a, a very deep conversation that perhaps we could have a whole debate on for another for another show uh, and maybe we will um, but interestingly what you're saying there about your uh, take on the feminine energy and the masculine energy there's a there's an incongruency in that because women are being taught to be more masculine can you tell me a little bit about how that relates to you and your journey and how you were able to turn that around well before before my second life started I was always dating either I would call them assholes back then okay. now I know better okay now I know better so Sorry, but back then, yeah. uh, guys were assholes or boring. And the ones that were boring, I would make my boyfriends because they felt safe. Yeah. Okay. Right? Um, 
And also, I used to go out with guys just because they were interested in me. And so I said, I started trying to find ways to like them. Mm-hmm. Like they are nice, they are cute, they are treating me nicely. They are even I like they were boring, but let's give them a second chance because you know uh, people can change and make uh, you know these things. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that those were only the, I know now that all of that all of those excuses were just uh, the story that I was making up for myself to to hide the unworthiness that I felt inside. The, that I felt so unvalued, so unlovable that I would just fetch onto whatever that was that thought that I was worthy of love. Mm-hmm. To feel better with myself, I guess. So right. I was numbing myself a lot with party. I was the party animal <laughs> until I was 31. <laughs> um I never did drugs though, but I was drinking a lot. Okay. Um, what was that? What, what was that about for you? Do you think? Why? What? What was that behavior about the partying and stuff? Apart from having a good time, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's all about having a good time. <laughs> but honestly, if I look back, um, it's not that I had a really good time. No. I was going out with with girls that I liked, I enjoyed being with, but uh, that I called friends, but I would not open up vulnerably with them. Never. Mm-hmm. I would keep everything for myself. And yes, I would speak about guys, about even details about the sexual inter- interactions. And I would go into, we would all do that. Right. Um, but really talking about the feelings, about how I feel, about how my life is going, about how my degree or my my, my career are going, not really. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, um, this added to the fact that I have always been the observer in groups. Okay. Um, I I never felt good enough in to speak my opinions, to speak mm-hmm. my thoughts, just to just to be me around people. I only felt comfortable when in one-on-one conversations. All right. Anything that was more than two, I always laid back, listen, and observe, and maybe from time to time say something but really very shyly um now this will change when i met a narcissist just to lucky me it was only six months right. <laughs> two amazing months two normal months and two the worst thing ever um and that sounds pretty normal for a narcissistic relationship <laughs> Well, there are people that stay in narcissistic yeah, relationships. Because they don't walk yeah. away when that change comes, do they? They stick, they, they go back to the first bit, which was all lovely and nice and fantastic when they were kind of priming the relationship, as it were, in a narcissistic way. And then when things start to shift, we're all, you know, can get hooked in at that space, can't we? But that's, that's yeah. interesting that you say that it, after two months, you realised you needed to get out. Well, I knew I had to get out, but it was very difficult. It mm. was only because he found a job in another country. That <laughs> right. Okay. okay. And we were not in a real relationship. We were just casual mm-hmm. buddies. Right. Uh, so that made it way, way easier. And mm. then I moved also to a different country. So, and this is where my change really happened because I didn't know anybody in this other country in Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. 
So by not knowing anybody here, I went into a lot of silence, a lot of stillness. And even when I was with this guy, I started realizing my how my behaviors influenced his behaviors. Somehow I became aware of that. It was the first time that I became aware of my behavior influencing somebody. Okay. Um, and every time I used to pull away, he would come and closer to me and flowers and with all the nice words and cooking for me and I would fall back to him. And when I fall back to him, then he would pull off and be again the asshole. So we were in, and when he was the asshole, then I would pull away and he would come back again. Okay. So it was this push and pull game that really it was horrible. It was, <laughs> and still I accepted situations that I would have never accepted in my own life if I am in my right mind. Mm. Um, and you said that well, came from a sort of a space of you not feeling worthy, like you said, even relationships, even with your friendships you didn't feel good enough about yourself. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know. I just thought that this was life. Mm. All men are assholes. It's not that I am finding the assholes, but all men are assholes. Mm. I'm sorry again, John. Um, no, this that's, is that's okay. <laughs> my that's, that's what you want to call them. But you also said that there was, a, there was a shift between, so you would choose people that would treat you badly or you would choose people that, weren't quite good enough for you because you didn't believe in yourself in either way. So you were attracting two different types of people. You were yeah. you were dating people that would treat you very badly, and then you were actually then choosing people to have a bit of a rest from that, yes. but yes. also choosing people that you knew you weren't going to have uh, substantial relationships with. Yes. But this is all at that subconscious level. I was not aware of any of this. Mm. I want to make this clear for any woman who is listening. Mm. I was not aware that I was choosing, choosing this kind of men. Yeah, they were just men that were showing up in my life, treating me good, and I was falling for it. Yeah. Do you understand where that kind of maybe comes from at a deeper level? What kind of relationships oh, yeah. did you experience as a child that may have led to <laughs> the adult relationships? Yeah, I then understood that I am the daughter of a narcissist. Right. Or a mom with narcissistic traits. Yeah. Because she doesn't have any illness. <laughs> um, and that is now that. Uh, a couple of years later, when I have been already deeply into my emotional wisdom, I understood that why I have a, why I have a narcissist mom or a mom with narcissistic behavior and why I attracted that narcissist. So the narcissistic was the guy was only there to make me realize that my mom was one. Mm-hmm. But my mom being one, it's just for me to understand my need of being under the spotlight, my need of becoming visible, my need of understanding that I have a message to show, to share with the world, and I can do it. Yeah. So that's why. I'm, Having a mom that has those traits was beneficial to me. Mm. Understanding that even by embracing those traits that I hated in her as I was growing up, I can show up in the world in a way that is loving and caring for everybody, even if I have the spotlight on me, even if I am visible. And actually, my message is precisely that. 
be aware of who you are, have the spotlight on you so that you can change the world in the way that you were born to change the world. Okay. Not okay. just to bring the light onto you and say, ha, ha, ha. No, just for a reason, mm -hmm. for your mission, your sole purpose. That has helped big time in healing my needs. By being able to kind of heal that within yourself. So it's very interesting that that's one of the things I learned from when I did some training with Tony Robbins was you can tell yourself how bad it all is because of how your parents were and maybe how your upbringing was. But you also need to thank them because they've also that those the bit the bad bits that you went through have shaped you as a human being so if you didn't have I wouldn't be in the position I am now as a coach helping people if I hadn't been through the experiences I'd had as a kid so I need to be grateful in a way because it's shaped me as a human being I wouldn't be the person I am helping people if I hadn't gone through the things I'd gone through and it's very interesting that you say that that it, you now embrace your mum's narcissistic tendencies, all the things you hated as a kid, which would cause you so much pain and disturbance. And now you're saying, actually, I need to take the, all of that on board because it's now informing how I am as a person, but how I can help others. Yeah. And even, I mean, I hated them as, an, as a kid. So I know that I will be shining my light in a different way because I don't want my son to feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, so tell me about that. What changed then? You said you went to Luxembourg, and that's when you were being in a new environment and in a new space. What did what? How did that kind of influence you, and how did that change your life for you? Well, before moving to Luxembourg, I moved to Germany following a boyfriend. Okay. Love, <laughs> You've had a proper journey with these relationships, haven't you? <laughs> yes. Um. He was one of the boring ones, six years. Right. <laughs> I knew already after 30 years that I should break up with him, but I just, it just took me four years of facing my fears to get out of there. Okay. But then, yes, I moved to Luxembourg, and I didn't know anybody. And what I started reading self-development books, at that point I already knew that there was a problem with me. I already knew that it, I was the common denominator of all my shitty relationships. Mm -hmm. I hope I can use that word here. Of course. Um, so I was, and I also knew that there was more to life than just corporate world and bad relationships. I, well, I didn't know, but I had this feeling already inside. There has to be something more to life than just this. Yeah. And. Well, I started reading a lot of self-development books, a lot of YouTube channels, and I started putting into practice the things that they were saying. A lot of just sitting and observing and leaning back into my feminine nature. And just whenever I, I went on to rotational dating, and in order for me not to meet men, but to put into practice the theory that I had learned with the narcissist, about the pull and push, to put that into practice and see if that's actually something or, or it's just something that was happening with this one man. Mm. And it turns out that it's actually something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you notice there was a repeat pattern in all of these different things yes. that were going on in your life. Exactly. So I started doing more of what was working and less of what wasn't working. Mm. And my personality started to change 
I started gaining more confidence on myself. Uh, my self-esteem started to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, even at work, I would feel more energized, even if I hated my work. But uh, it was like the energy from the after from the evenings was somehow showing up during the mornings and the afternoons at work. So it's just introspection and leaning back and really allowing men to do everything for me, which is what they want, be the man, <laughs> uh, provide. And this, this, I know it might sound for the feminine, for the feminists out there listening to us, like, what are you talking about? You want to be again a stay-at-home mom or whatever, and that's not what it means. Um, you can have everything. A, mom, uh, a, a man, a high-quality man, that cares for you, that provides for you. And that doesn't mean that you stop working. You can still work on your dream, not in whatever job, on your dream. And that will, at the same time, fuel the relationship. And he will feel more loved just because you are doing your thing instead of doing what you think he wants you Mm -hmm. to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) There's a kind of a, a subconscious thing, isn't it, that we need in masculine and feminine spaces that... A feminine energy generally as 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 I understand it needs to that safety, security, um, to feel looked after, like you said, protected. The I guess in a nutshell, the guy needs to feel a little bit like, like a hero, doesn't he? And and express yeah. that kind of he needs to be respected and looked at in a in a very uh positive manner in that way. So then he feels like he wants to look after you and protect you and uh yeah. and doesn't want to be emasculated in any kind of shape or form. Um but so- Allowing him to be a hero doesn't mean that you are not allowed to be a heroine for yourself. Exactly. You are allowed, precisely this is what we are looking in a high quality relationship. Mm. A hero and a heroine come together making mini heroes. That is what we want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But again, like you said, doing it in the way that's the right, that's right for you. Again, that balance of masculine and feminine energy needs to yeah. be right within that partnership doesn't it because otherwise it's going to be off kilter all the time and it's you're never going to be completely comfortable in that space that you're in and and you changed by being able to um look at yourself and say actually i you said i am the common denominator i'm the one that's that's radiating these issues so what what do i what do i need to do in order to stop these things coming to myself and you said when you stopped doing that that naturally increased your confidence and your self-belief and your self-worth and then you were able to try stop the kind of relationships that you were happy in it having in your life yeah. um and so how did you it, when we previously spoke and it's very interesting as well i just want to join that you actually come you came from a field of being a, a computer engineer to being yeah. in this space that you're right now. So, I mean, that's a, a kind of a big shift within itself. Did that coincide with that kind of shift that you found within yourself, that you were doing something you weren't particularly happy with, you found quite unfulfilling, but finding that better space within you enabled you to move away from the job that you were doing as well? Yeah, totally. Mm. As, as I was increasing my self-confidence, I realised, well, I already knew in, to some degree that this was not my career. Mm-hmm. Computer engineering, I knew it, but you know, I have been doing this for 17 years before I quit my career. So mm-hmm. the, it was not a question to, to 
to quit it. Like, mm. how can I? I have been doing this for all my life. I cannot just quit now. And, but what if we can shift it? I spent 17 years doing something that I really don't like. Am I willing to work another 20 years on something that I don't like? Or I prefer to stop right now and search for that thing that fills my heart with joy. And that's what I did. It took me also a couple of years more to, to reach to that stage. Yeah, sure. yeah again, well, there's something we need to point out to people. This is not an overnight change. <laughs> it takes a lot of sort of self-reflection, a lot of work to be able to shift away from all of these patterns that are keeping you stuck in these really negative spaces. And courage. I would like to say that courage is not doing what you don't want to do, but society asks you to do. That is not courage. That mm. is numbing. Courage is when you dare to say no to society because I don't want that. That is courage. Yeah. To be able to because step you out of that space that you've been conditioned to be in and choose your own path. Yeah. And as relationships are concerned, um, you you described in our previous conversation before the show um, that you were, it was like you're now in a tight shoe. And I'd like you just to explain that a little bit more to the listeners, please. I released that one already. I removed <laughs> the tight shoe. <laughs> but yeah, when, when we spoke, I was in the midst of it. So I was in a position with my husband. Uh, we just had a baby. My parents have been with us. Uh, they moved in with us the moment I, on my due date. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has been very intense for everyone in the house, you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So the energy around me was really, really um, contracting me. It was really, I felt trapped. Right. I couldn't do anything, really trapped. So I, and what this means is that when you are feeling that energy trapping you, that you cannot move to any place, uh, right, left, front, back, you always feel like there's no way out of this. Yeah. It just feels like whenever you find the courage to move out of that space, it's really like releasing a tight shoe, removing a tight shoe that you have <laughs> coming back home and removing that shoe and it's like, ah. Oh, I can now rest, <laughs> no more high heels, no more nothing. Um, and yes, I removed it. And I realized that I was still in a disempowering pattern. I realized that every time I was, uh, all my life, I have, I have been with men that don't support me don't support me in my dreams, in my journey. And my husband, even if he has been showing me that he supports me every single time I told him no, and he has stayed with me and he has loved me regardless of me saying no, this time it was huge because I needed to get out of Luxembourg and I needed to take the baby with me. He cannot stay there because he needs to breastfeed. The same time I don't want the baby to grow up without the father. So I was really feeling trapped. I had to get out of here, but I cannot. I spoke to my husband and he was fully within with me. Fully. And now he's in Luxembourg. I am in Spain mm-hmm. with my child. He will be coming back and forth. He doesn't mind, doesn't care. And 
I can finally breathe again. It's not my husband the problem. It's me the problem that I put all these stories around me and around him and around the relationship. Right. He's there supporting. I just have to allow him to support. Me. Right. Right. Yeah. Now I can breathe again. Mm. Knowing that even if we are separated, we are still as strong as ever. And I love it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but you've created that space for yourself. But actually recognizing that it was you that put you into the tight spot in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> so we're going to run out of time in a little bit, unfortunately. Uh, just um, something I just wanted to check in with you. There's something that you've got on offer for the listeners. There's something you see you run a one- monthly workshop that people can visit. Tell me a little yes. bit more about that, please. Yeah. So... My monthly workshop where I guide women into a inner journey. Mm-hmm. And each month we cover different topics. Uh, last month was self-worth. I'm planning now, I don't know when you will be launching this, but this month will be self-trust. I will go also into self-respect, self, um, all the self that you can imagine, self-compassion, self-romance, everything. So each month has a different topic. And we will dive right in. Through a movement meditation, movement meditation, not just sitting in place. I can't mm-hmm. do that. Right. Um, <laughs> and just try to see where our issues come from. That month's issues, the lack of self-respect, the lack of self-worth, the lack of self-trust. Where right. is it stemming from? And try to see that. And these, so these workshops are, are, are live. Are they are they recorded so that people can kind of catch up with them afterwards? I do record them, but they are only available for the for the membership. Okay. So if people are interested in in seeing one of those monthly workshops, they can come along for free, and then you can talk to yeah. them about the membership afterwards. And I guess yeah. they're going to be able to find about all those details from your website and stuff like that as well. Yes, they are. Great. Can you just tell people how they can get in touch with you if they if they want to learn more about what you do? Uh, they can come over. To my Facebook pages, um, women in uh, women in flow and awakened motherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, also, find me in Facebook, Eugenia Gomez um, They can send me an email, uh, Eugenia at the Emotional Freedom Academy That one is still there in place. Um, cool. Through my website, I will leave all this. I will give you all these. What's the what's the name of the website? How do they visit your website? Um, EugeniaGomez.com. <laughs> Thank That's you. Um, so if you're interested in finding a little bit more about those workshops, uh, all the uh, contact information is in the show notes. Uh, so just click there, find out a little bit more about Eugenia and see if uh, how she helps you to awaken those things within you will be useful in your life, which I'm sure if you need to be awakened, they will be extremely useful. Um, thank you very much for being on, on the show today. Is there some word of kind of inspiration or quote or anything that you've got that you'd like to leave the listeners with today? I want you to come back to your body, to feel your emotions and feel the power that is living without, within you. As that power that is asleep right now, but that it lives within you. You are powerful in your feminine nature. So please don't think that emotions are your weakness. Emotions are your biggest power. 
So please face them. Awesome. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, great conversation. Eugenia, thank you for being a guest today. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for having me, John. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you. Bye, Bye. Friend. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.